Well, good morning to everyone. If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Before we begin, let's bow together before our, our Lord. Our Father, we bow before you this morning in worship, in awe and in adoration of who you are and what by your mercy and grace and wisdom you have done for your people. Father, I pray this morning that you would give each one of us here a heart of true worship, that we might bow at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ and worship him. Truly, he is worthy of all of our worship, but cause us to be able to worship. To the praise of the glory of your grace, to, to honor and glorify our Savior, and for our good. There's nothing better for us than to worship God our Savior. And what we pray for ourselves, we pray for your people, wherever they meet today. Father, bless your word. Cause it to, to go forth in power. To bring glory to your name. To instruct and to save, to comfort, to feed your people. Father, we thank you for giving us a place where we can come meet together in, in peace and harmony and love and to worship, to preach the gospel of Christ our Savior. And Father, I pray that you would protect this place, this, the, the, the heart of this congregation for many, many, many years to come. Give us the wisdom to protect this place, to protect the gospel that's preached here, to to endeavor to have the, the unity of the saints, that with one purpose, one heart, one desire to hear Christ preached, that would be our preeminent goal. Father, we ask this for your glory, that you not leave yourself without a witness. We ask, Father, that you do this for our good, for the good of our children, for the good of our community. Bless your word as it's preached here. Father, we're thankful for your blessing, your spiritual blessing, your the blessings, the physical blessings you, you bless this congregation with are without number. But Father, we're also a poor and a needy people. There's so many right now who are going through difficult times of, of heartache, sickness, and sorrow. Father, I pray you'd be with your people, that you'd heal, that you'd comfort. We're thankful that Julie's come through this surgery. Father, I pray you continue to heal her, strengthen her. Father, others, those that, that we know of, those who are suffering in silence, you know. We pray you comfort the hearts of your people with your presence. All these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 1, our text this morning is verse 7. I've titled the lesson, The Blessing of Election. And these past weeks, we've been looking, going through this chapter, looking at all the different spiritual blessings that God has given his people that Paul lists here in this chapter. And the first thing he told us is all these blessings are in Christ. So if you need any blessing from God, you need anything at all from God, you go to the Lord Jesus Christ and beg him for it because they're all in him. We've looked at the blessing of election. What a blessing that is. Nobody could be saved without God's electing love. 
He chose to save sinners who could never deserve it. We looked at the blessing of predestination. The Father predetermined to make a sinful people to be just like His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a greater blessing than we'll realize until we're with Him in glory. We've looked at the blessing of acceptance. The Father doesn't just grudgingly accept His people. He gladly accepts His people in His Son because His Son made them to be perfect. Now this morning, I want to look at the blessing of redemption. I have four points on this blessing of redemption. I hope will drive this point home to our hearts. And number one is this, just like all these spiritual blessings, redemption is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This redemption is in Christ. Redemption is found in Christ because he's the one that accomplished all of it for his people. He accomplished redemption for his people by his sacrifice for their sins. Now redemption is all in Christ because Christ is our redemption. Redemption is not a thing. Redemption is a person. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ is our redemption. So all redemption is found in him. He personally is our redemption. Now, if you need to be redeemed from your sin, I tell you what, go to Christ. He redeems sinners. He's exactly who you need. Now, the fact that we need to be redeemed tells me we have a debt, a debt that we cannot pay. The best example I could think of is a pawn shop. You know, a person is is short on cash, so they take some valuable that belongs to them, and they go down there and give it to the pawn shop, and the pawn shop gives them some money for it. Now, in a certain number of days, how many ever days it is determined, you can come back and redeem your valuable. You can buy it back from the pawn shop. But if you don't, if you don't come back in a certain number of days, they're going to sell it to somebody else, and it's lost to you forever. You and I have a price on our head. And we did this thing willingly. So if somebody takes something down to the pawn shop and, and, and pawns it so they can get some money, they did that willingly. You and I have put a price on our heads willingly. We've sold ourselves in bondage to sin. We've sold ourselves in sin. And God's justice says, now there's a price for that. The price is death for sin. Well, now the debt can be paid. But the only way the debt can be paid is with perfect, pure, sinless blood. And you and I don't have that. So we cannot pay the debt. And God's justice rightly demands our second death. Our death in hell because we've got a price we cannot pay. So the Lord Jesus came. And he redeemed his people from from God's justice. You know, the person we have to be saved from is God. And God sent his son to save us from God. He sent his son to redeem us from God's justice by paying the price for his people. Christ paid the debt for the sin of God's elect 
by the sacrifice of himself, of all that he is. He, he paid the debt with his own precious blood. He had the only pure, sinless blood that's ever been on the face of this earth. And he gave that blood to redeem his people, to pay a price that they owed because of their sin. Now that's a blessing. This is the blessing of redemption. I don't have to pay the debt if Christ paid it for me. And we talk about the Lord paying, redeeming his people with his blood. That doesn't just mean the blood that's in the veins of the Savior. When scripture talks about blood, it signifies death. He didn't just give a pint of blood. He gave all of his blood, his life's blood, so that Christ died for the sin of his people. He took the sin of God's elect and he made it his. Now he didn't commit any of it, but the guilt of that sin and the shame of that sin and the debt of that sin became his and he did what we couldn't do. He paid it. He paid it with his blood. He paid it with his death because God's justice demands death for sin. Now this is the blessing of redemption. If Christ died for me, I can never die. God's justice, not only does it not demand my death, God's justice demands my life if Christ died for me. Now that's a blessing, isn't it? Not only does God's grace demand my eternal life, God's justice does if Christ died for me. All right, number two, redemption means that the sins of God's elect are forgiven. Paul says, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now the sins of God's elect are forgiven for this reason. Christ took the sin of his people away. Once Christ took the sin of his people away, you can't charge God's elect with anything. Because Christ took it all away. There's nothing, there's no sin left to charge God's people with. Because Christ took it away. Now what a blessing this is. Even God the Father, who sees everything, and knows everything, and is everywhere all at one time, can't see any sin to charge me with. If Christ redeemed me. Because he took my sin away, and the Father forgives my sin because it's gone. Christ redeemed me. Christ paid the debt for it. And the very clear picture that we have of that in the Old Testament is the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would symbolically transfer the sin of the people onto the head of that scapegoat. He'd lay his hands on the head of that scapegoat and confess the sin of the people. The sin of, of Israel was symbolically transferred to that scapegoat. And then the priest gave the scapegoat to a fit man. And that fit man took that leash and started walking. Out into the wilderness, out beyond the horizon where nobody could see him. And then he kept walking some more. And he left that goat out in the wilderness. And he returned. When he came back to the camp, the goat wasn't with him. See, the picture is he left that, the sin of God's people out there in the wilderness and it didn't come back with him. It's gone forever. 
never to be seen again. And that's what's happened in the redemption of God's people. The Father literally, and not figuratively, not, not, not pretending, not in a picture, but literally transferred the sin of God's people from them to Christ. And the Lord Jesus is both the high priest, he's the scapegoat, and he's the fit man. He's all of them at once. When Christ became sin for his people, he took it away so that it will never be seen again. It'll be never, never be heard from again. Now, since there's no sin left that can condemn God's people, the Father in justice, he, he, this is right for him to do, he forgives the sin of, that, of his people because there's, there's no reason left to punish them. Christ took their sin away. By his blood, he made it to not exist anymore. So the blessing of redemption is the Father in justice forgives the sin of his people. All right, number three. Redemption is an act of God's grace. Paul says here it's, it's according to the riches of his grace. Now, the redemption of a sinner has got to be by grace, doesn't it? I mean, th this is what human religion and, and what the, the nature of a, of a dead, spirit, spiritually dead man cannot figure out. Redemption cannot be earned by you and me. Redemption cannot be earned by a sinner. So if a sinner, I mean a sinner now, who all they can do is, is sin. Everything they think is sin. Everything they want is sin. Their nature is sin. If that sinner is going to be redeemed from a debt he cannot pay, it's got to be by grace, doesn't it? A sinner can't do anything to deserve forgiveness. Everything a sinner does deserves God's wrath, not his forgiveness. A dead sinner doesn't have any ability to pay the price that's on our head. So redemption has got to be by grace. And God sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ to pay the redemption price of his people because he's the only one who can pay the price. Because of the riches of his grace, he is able to redeem his people from a sin debt that's so large we can't calculate it. It's infinite. And even though it's infinite, by the riches of his grace, Christ our Savior can still pay the debt and redeem his people. You know, I don't care how great we think our sin is. It's greater than what we think. I promise you that. But when the Lord gives us some glimpse of our sin, and we become so fearful, knowing because of our sin what we deserve, how we deserve God's wrath, you take heart and you take comfort in this. The Lord Jesus Christ can pay the debt in full. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And since our redemption, the redemption of God's people is by grace, God gives this blessing of redemption to his people freely. Now, we talk about redemption being free. Well, that doesn't mean redemption doesn't cost anything. I mean, you know, something doesn't cost anything 
I mean, it pretty much has to mean it's not worth anything, doesn't it? Pretty much. The redemption of God's people is not free in the sense it doesn't cost anything. No, the redemption of God's elect cost the Lord Jesus everything, didn't it? It cost him his life's blood. It cost him the sacrifice, the offering of his soul. He shall make his soul an offering for sin. Body and soul, he offered himself as a sacrifice to God. It cost him untold suffering, bodily and of heart and soul. Can you imagine the suffering? The Father and the Son are one. Back there in Proverbs 8, the the Savior talked about how when only God existed, how he was daily the delight of his Father. The only thing he'd experienced of his Father is his delight, his love, his presence, just And the suffering of his soul was the Father is the one that plunged the sword of justice into the heart of his fellow. The Father killed his son. Oh, the the suffering. The shame that he had to endure. Not just his shame and his humiliation before men. Although that, that had to be so horrible. I mean, horrible. To be naked and to be suffering. And while you're naked and suffering, to be mocked. Oh, the the humiliation of that is just horrible, isn't it? But what about the shame? The humiliation of the Holy Son of God to be made sin before His Father. To have His Father turn His back on Him. To be naked, spiritually, before His Father. But He endured all that. He paid that price. So He could give redemption to His people free. Look back at Romans chapter 3. When we talk about the, the Lord giving salvation, giving redemption to his people freely, it means this, without a cause found in us, without any work done by us to deserve it, but Christ did all the work to earn it. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have a debt that they cannot pay but being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now where's boasting then? Where's boasting in in your works, in your morality, in in your goodness? It's excluded. By what law? The law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. If we trust Christ, we're going to boast in him, not in our works. That's what Paul's saying. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. See, that's giving redemption to God's people freely. And it's an act of God's grace that Christ would pay the debt for his people so they don't have to pay it. All right, here's the last thing. Redemption in our Lord Jesus Christ is complete. Complete redemption. Now, like I said earlier, 
The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ had to redeem his people, that tells me his people had a price on their, on their head, a price that they could not pay. We've sold ourselves under sin. We've sold ourselves into bondage to the law. We've sold ourselves under God's justice, and God's justice demands payment in full. Christ came to make that payment. That's redemption. He came to make that payment. But redemption also means this. Redemption means there had to be a captivity. There had to be a captivity to the law. Redemption means there had to be slavery. Slavery to sin. Now many times in the Old Testament, you can just go back and look up a few, many times in the Old Testament, when the Lord would remind His people how He set them free from Egypt. He'd remind them, remember, remember when you were slaves down there in Egypt? And I came, and when he talked about setting them free, he didn't say, I set you free from the house of the bondman. He said this, I redeemed you from the house of the bondman. I redeemed you. Redemption has something to do with being set free from slavery. Now, you and I are slaves. We're held captive. We're held captive to the law. And a true captive can't set himself free. You know, the law demands our physical death, doesn't it? Because of sin. You're captive to the law. You and I are. Just try to stop the death of this body. You can't do it. You know why you can't? We're captive to the law. We're slaves to sin. And you think, oh, I'm not a slave. I'm free. Wait a minute. Try to stop sinning for just the next second. Couldn't as soon, as soon as I said try to stop sinning, some horrible, sinful thought flew through your mind because of the nature of sin. You know why we can't stop sinning? We're slaves to sin. Every, every time it whistles, we come. Every time. We're defenseless because we're slaves. We can't set ourselves free from our master because a slave has no power and the master has it all. If we could have set ourselves free from this awful slavery, bondage to sin, we would have done it a long time ago. I mean, you who believe, you didn't wake up this morning thinking, how am I going to sin today? You woke up thinking, I'm determined not to. I wanted to come worship the Lord. I just, I don't. And you, you can't help it. We can't set ourselves free. We're captives. But Almighty God, now He requires, we're slaves to law, He requires it to be obeyed. We can't obey it. He requires a perfect righteousness with no sin, and we can't produce it. We're helpless, aren't we? So Christ had to come and redeem His people from the house of the bondman. He, he set His people free by redeeming them. And Christ set His people free in every single way that you can imagine. In every way we're held captive, he redeemed his people from the house of the bondman. In every way that we're a slave, Christ redeemed his people from the house of the bondman. And let me give you just a, just a few. First, Christ has redeemed his people from bondage to the law. If Christ has redeemed you, if Christ died for you, you don't have to do what the law says anymore. 
Don't even, Chip and I were talking about this before service, don't even look back to the law to see how you're supposed to live, how you're supposed to conduct yourself. No, you don't have to do what the law says at all. The believer has absolutely no relationship with the law. If you want to see how to conduct yourself, look to Christ. If you want to see how to conduct yourself, do what you first did when God saved you. Look to Christ. You keep looking to Him. Let me show you that. Galatians chapter 4. Believers are not required to keep the law because they've already kept it. In Christ, our representative. And Christ has made His people. They're not slaves. They're sons. Galatians 4 verse 4. Well, look at verse 3. He said, even so we, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more servant. You're not a slave anymore, but you're a son, you're a daughter. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. <laughs> God's people, we're born in bondage to sin. That's our nature, isn't it? But Christ has redeemed those people from the house of the bondage and made them his sons and daughters. Now you think of a king of old. Well, you know, the, the prince and the princesses, they're not inactive, are they? No, they work. They do things. They, they do things in the service of their king, of their father. But they serve the father out of love. They don't do it because they have to. They're not serving because they're trying to get a reward. That's what a servant does. I remember when I was working, well, I mean, you know, it's a good thing on Friday they gave me a paycheck because I don't think I'd have been back Monday if they didn't. I mean, I wasn't just there out of the goodness of my heart. I was there to earn a living for my family. I did what I did so I get that paycheck on Friday. A servant serves because they want a reward. A son serves because he loves his father. You know why a slave serves? Why a slave is, is just scurries around to, to do what their master tells them to do? They don't want to get whipped. Brethren, we're sons of the Father. We serve the Father out of love. Not because we're afraid of punishment now. Christ took our punishment for us. There's no more whippings left. There's no more punishment left. There's no more wrath left in the Father. And that makes God's people serve Him out of love. Out of thanksgiving. Because we love our Father. Because we love our Savior. You just can't paint the difference between a slave and a son. Their motivation far enough apart. Christ has redeemed his people from bondage to the law. You don't have to do what the law says anymore. Just serve out of love. Whatever it is that's in your heart out of love, do it. That's our motivation. Not threats, not punishment, not trying to avoid punishment. Love. All right, second, Christ has redeemed his people from the curse of the law. Look across the page, Galatians 3, 13. 
Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now the curse of the law is this. The law requires death for sin. The law requires not just a physical death, but eternal death in hell for those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you why hell is eternal. It's because our suffering, no matter how long we suffer, will never pay for even one sin. Not even one, because we don't have the, the pure blood, the perfect blood. We don't have anything that we can that offer God as a sacrifice that will please Him. So hell is eternal. And I tell you, I don't, I don't really like to, to, to think about hell, just, just personally. I just, the horror of that is just, is just more than, than I can really think about. I, I try not to talk about it other than how scripture talks about it, but, but never in a way that would threaten anybody or scare anybody. You better do, you know, you better not do that or God sends you to hell. God's elect have absolutely no reason to worry about the second death. They have no reason to worry about suffering in hell like that because Christ, our substitute, already suffered hell for us. He suffered it on Calvary's tree. He suffered that curse of death. So his people never will. Then thirdly, look at Titus chapter 2. Christ has redeemed his people from the iniquity, from the sin that, that, that defiles us, the filth of it, and the sin, that, the iniquity that would damn us. Titus 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Christ has redeemed his people from iniquity. He's purified them. He's washed them so that they're free from the stink and the stain of sin and made them pure. And here's the last thing I want to show you. Look at, at Romans chapter 8. One day, our bodies are going to be redeemed. Not just our souls, our bodies. So that we don't dwell in a body of sin anymore. Romans 8, verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. To wit, namely, this is what we're waiting for, the redemption of our body. Now the Savior's redeemed His people. Body and soul. Our souls have been redeemed from sin. You who believe Christ, right here where you sit, your soul has been redeemed from sin, purified, redeemed from, from all iniquity. But our bodies aren't, are they? Our bodies aren't redeemed yet. We still live in a body of sin. And when the Lord returns, He's going to change all that. He's going to give His people a sinless body that matches their sinless soul and our redemption will be complete. Our redemption is drawn nigh. It's coming soon. It's coming soon when our body and soul will be redeemed. And so forever will we be with the Lord.
It'll be here before you know it. It'll be here before you know it. I, uh, I always like um, the Sundays when, when Brother Eric's class comes out in here. They're some of my favorite people. I just I like being with them. I like being around them. I know you'd rather Eric be here, but I like it when you're out here. You know, when I say it's going to be here before you know it, you're all thinking about some of us gray hair, aren't you? Kendon yesterday, I'm sure age. That's what it seems like to me. I mean, it really does. It'll be here before you know it. And when it gets here, that the Lord will have redeemed our bodies so that we don't live in a body of sin anymore. We can't imagine. But that's a blessing. And I look forward to it, don't you? All right. Lord bless you.